Hello, thank you for listening to the Avenue GCLC podcast. My name is Christopher Stevens, and I'm the minister at the Avenue G Church of Christ, where we are people of more. We hope that you enjoy and have enjoyed listening to this podcast, where you can find sermons, congregational singing, and talk shows with myself and youth minister Joshua Williams. We pray that the content is a blessing to you, and we hope that everyone listening can join us in person for worship and Bible class. We are located at 601 West Avenue G, Temple, Texas, 76504. And don't forget to visit us online at avegcoc.org. From the people of Moore to you, thank you and God bless. Have a seat. It is great to be with you this evening. Um, and after the introduction that I received, I, I'm, it's all downhill from here, folks. So. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Lord, your word is, is true. Your word is relevant. Your word is faithful. Uh, and so, Lord, we pray that we would be uh, faithful to your word um, and that we would be humbled again. Uh, in the presence of your word. We thank you so much for Jesus. Uh, we thank you for what Jesus has done for us, the salvation that we've received in his name, that he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, um, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, Lord. And I pray that in all things, we might um, allow Jesus to have the supremacy in our lives. And so for that purpose, for that preach, um, would you please pour through me a gift of preaching tonight? <clears throat> would you open our hearts to your word? And would we be molded and more into the image of our Lord Jesus? In his name we pray. Amen. We had terrible fashion sense in the 90s. Terrible fashion sense in the 90s. We, um, I, it, was, it was a decade where for some reason we thought it was alright to dress like lumberjacks. Uh, lots of flannel shirts and uh, in blue jeans and work boots. That's kind of that was that was kind of like the upscale apparel for a college student in the mid '90s. You know, back when the Cowboys were good, they would. When, so we would wear flannel shirts. We would wear um, blue jeans and boots. That would be that we'd go to church looking like that. Uh, and so my father, who's a physician, he calls me up on a Saturday night and he says. Son, there's, there's, a, there's a new doctor that's looking at coming to Abilene, and we're, we're going to go take him to church, and then we're going to take him to the country club after church. And so we want you to come along, and you're invited to come to the country club after church. And we said, well, that, that sounds great. Um, I said, well, Dad, what do I wear? He says, well, wear your church clothes, which he should have thought about a little bit more. I should have thought about a little bit more, so I did what I what we did in 1994 or so and put on my best flannel shirt and I went to church looking like, you know, a lumberjack and, and, and after service, we, I met my family over at the Abilene Country Club, which why Abilene has one, I don't know, but we walked in there and, and uh, as soon as the, 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 the man, the maitre d' saw me at the door, he had this look on his face like, oh no. And I could tell by the look that something wasn't right, but it wasn't registering to me 
what was right. And so he leads me back and I do this. And as I'm walking through the country club, all the older ladies that were there were looking at me with this, with this look, the, oh, bless your heart. Oh, bless your heart. And they would look at me and, and I, 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 all the eyes were on me and I, and I knew I, something was wrong. Something was different. But I'm apparently the only one who doesn't know what the deal is until I see my dad and my dad looks at me and he does the face palm and he says, Jordan, what are you thinking? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, this is the country club, I'm aware. He says, you've got to wear a jacket at the country club. And so it was, a, they had a jacket requirement there. And so now, and, and I want you to imagine that I was even bigger then than I am now, but, and, and the, per, the, the, the maitre d' says, well, well, we'll get it taken care of. He disappears for a little bit, and he brings out the largest jacket that they keep in reserve, this camel, you know, skinned right off of a camel. And it was, and he hands it to me, and he's like, here, put this on. And it was, that guy in a little coat. It didn't work. And I was embarrassed. I was ashamed to be there. And I, I could not wait to leave that place. And I've never been back since. And it occurred to me that, that, that's, that my shame was the price that had to be paid so that that could be an exclusive place. Something has to separate the country club from everything else. And my shame was the price that had to be paid for that. Because if a group is worth belonging to, it has to have a way of creating the ins and the outs. And the way of it's being special is you can't let just anyone in. Which brings me to the Netherlands. A young man named Kieva Rukeman. He spends his time listening to songs that have been written by various artists, and he gets samples out of these songs. And he collects these samples together, and, and he mixes them with, with fresh beats, and then he puts them online, and, and other people all around the world download his beats, and they make their songs based on this. And, and, and Kio, as he likes to be known as, um, uh, went and he sampled a tune from Nine Inch Nails and he put a beat down to it. Now on the other side of the pond, there was a young man named Montero Hill, maybe better known as Lil Nas X, living in Atlanta, Georgia. In his, and, and he found this beat. And he was working out of his grandmother's closet on his laptop computer and he hears this beat and he says, I really like this. He sends a message to Keo, can I use it? Yeah, let's go. And he throws down some words to it to enter into a competition, the Yeehaw Challenge. And up comes this song that we've heard before. We're going to play, play a little clip out of it. How many of you have heard this song? Here we go. You can sing along with it if you want. Yeah, it's catchy, isn't it? 
So it goes out, he releases it on TikTok, on Twitter, and it goes crazy. Country music stations start playing this song. They're like, you got to hear this. And they start playing this song, um, and, it, and it was released on March 16th of this year, and it begins to rocket up the country music charts. And it gets to, uh, and it's, it's cracked the top 20. It's, it's rising fast. And then the country music billboard chart gets together, and they say this to Old Town Road. They say, now hold your horses. That ain't country. And you go, well, well, it's got horses. It's got boots. It's got cowboy hats. It's got, you know, uh, cheating on the girlfriend. It's got everything you want in country music. Well, why isn't they said, well, well, that's, that's not country music. That's something different. That's not part of our genre. So you put that back on the hippity hop side of things. And they used their roper boots to kick Old Town Road off the country charts. It was released again with Billy Ray Cyrus singing on it on April 16th, a month later. And it has been the number one song in all the charts for the last 10 or 11 weeks now. And I think about this song and and it, it reminds me of that country club experience because it's focused on a group that said, no, we've got to set up guardrails. Now, this is, this is the country music. This is the people who let achy, breaky heart be number one. So we're not talking about the highest standards. But they look and they say, now, you don't belong here. We can't let just anyone here Oh, it's a good thing that we don't ever do this with church. I visited a large church. It was built in the 1920s. It was a beautiful, beautiful building. It was well made. They had put a lot of thought into it. It was a church that just sparkled. And people were proud of the church. And they said, "Can we have weddings from all over in this beautiful place in this auditorium with the balcony and 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 they said we have weddings from all over in here this is uh, a remarkable building and then one of the older members pulled me aside and went conspiratorially and said you want to know the real story I said we never needed the balcony you know why we built the balcony and so that people that had black skin would sit up there and he said in, in these water fountains that you see, there used to be signs hanging over them that said whites only. And they had a wall where they had every minister who had ever preached at that church on that wall. And I looked at that wall and I realized that there had been a lot of ministers at that church, but Jim Crow had been a constant, a constant presence. And it was clear for me to see then and there but sometimes it's much harder for me to see now. Because in some ways we act just like that country club and that country billboard chart. And we say it's not enough to be church. We have to set up our own guardrails. And we have to preserve our own kind of church. And maybe you don't belong in a place like this. 
James addresses this in Scripture. And you have the, the words that we're going to read um, in this brochure tonight, in your, in your newsletter tonight. You know, sometimes preachers get in trouble because someone doesn't understand what they're saying. But preachers get in a lot more trouble when they know exactly what the preacher is saying. And let me tell you, James got into some trouble. Because this is what James says, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes in your meeting wearing a gold ring, fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, well, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and you've become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised to those who love Him? But, but you've dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to, um, him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin, and you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you don't commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. But mercy triumphs over judgment. And may God bless the reading of His Word. The church has struggled with division and favoritism since her very birth. Because favoritism is when we make differences about things that make no difference to God. And we can make differences and show favoritism about a variety of different things. Money, race, education, hygiene. We can turn church into a beauty contest. We can look down on others because they don't wear nice clothes. We can look down on others because they're dressed too nicely. And these are things that don't matter at all to God. In, in fact, favoritism is mentioned several times in Scripture. Galatians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul says, God does not judge by external appearance. And again, in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter says these words. He says, I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. And in case we're having a hard time getting this, Romans chapter 2, verse 11. You want to guess what the verse says? For God does not show favoritism. God just won't play this 
game. And Jesus didn't show favoritism either. One of the most frustrating parts about Jesus' ministry to those who were observing and watching and following him around is that Jesus refused to play favorites. He loved the people who were there before him. And so he healed a Samaritan. He spent time with tax collectors. He went to the Canaanite woman. He, he spoke to that Samaritan woman at that well in the middle of the day. And, and Jesus died on a cross for everyone, crucified between thieves. James, the brother of Jesus, is adamant that favoritism and discrimination is anti-Christ. It denies the cross. It is the opposite of the will of the Father. Now the saving sign of faith is to what extent we are willing to welcome others across genres and across barriers and across differences. Harry Lentz uh, wrote a book called Strength for Each Day. And in there he tells the story of when he was a missionary in, China, in, in India, and he was preaching in a city in India, and there was a local official, a Brahmin, uh, and the Brahmin is the highest caste in Indian society. And, and the Brahmin official stepped forward and said, I, I hear you talking about being saved by faith. I want you to know that I am also saved by faith, but not the faith of Jesus, but the faith of my ancestors, the faith of my fathers. And so the missionary said, well, we're, we're glad to hear that. After we finish preaching and teaching here, we're going to go to the downtown area to hand out blankets and food to the untouchables, the lowest caste. They said, maybe you would like to join us there. Now, a Brahmin would be considered unclean if even the shadow of an untouchable fell across him. And so he was visibly disturbed, and he said, I insist that I am saved, but I'm not saved that far. question for us, church, is how far are you saved? Because we're saved by the gospel. We're, we're saved by the gospel, and the gospel of Jesus is the good news that God crossed every barrier and every division through Jesus to bring us from death to a newness of life. And the gospel doesn't permit division. The gospel doesn't bless favoritism. In fact, Brother James insists that faith is always working within us. And that faith is always going to be doing something in us, a work within us to change us and make us more and more like Jesus. And that our faith is going to express itself through the changes that are being made in our lives. And in fact, in this world called church, the world that the gospel imagines, there is no room for any of us to say, well, that's just the way it is. Or that's how it's done in this part of the world. Or I was just raised this way. The faith works for us to welcome one another, to treat one another with the welcome that we receive from the Lord. And this is near to the heart 
of James. Remember, remember who James is. James, the brother of Jesus, was part of that original church in Jerusalem. He was part of that original group who took on the name of Jesus and carried that name of Jesus. And, and the book of Acts records the stories of this church. And the very first issue, the very first threat to the church is recorded in Acts chapter 6. I want to read that. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. The, the, the very first issue that comes up um, is, is this problem inside this church. Now, they're all Jewish people in this church, but some are Hebrew-speaking, and they grew up in Jerusalem or in Judea area. And so they speak Hebrew. Now, there's other, others who've come in and they've moved in, and Hebrew isn't their mother tongue. It's not their mother language. They're from other parts. We might call them Yankees or something like that around here. But, but they come in, and they don't have the same background, even though they're Jewish. They come from other cultures and other heritages, and they speak Greek more than they speak Hebrew, and they come up and they say, we've got a problem. Something's not right here. Our widows are being treated differently than these widows. There's division. There's a problem within there. And, and to their credit, listen to what the, um, the, the leaders in this early church, listen to how they respond to this. Verse 2 says, so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. So they came and, and, and when this complaint was lodged against them, they did not sit back and say, you know what? This is all in your heads. You know what? You, you're just making this up. You know what? It, you're making a big deal about something that's not really a big deal at all. Instead, they go to action and they confront the whole church and they say, this isn't going to work in this church. And they take it so seriously that they appointed men full of the Holy Spirit to make sure that everyone is treated just exactly the same. Everyone is treated with the same honor, with the same dignity, the same respect. The first problem that the church had, it wasn't from without. It wasn't persecution from without. It wasn't the schemes of the Pharisees or the Romans from without. It was division from within. Favoritism was the first existential threat 
to Christianity. And they understood that that has no place in the church. See, some of us and many of us have learned to come to God's law like you come to a Jenga tower. You know the game Jenga? You set up all the blocks, and the game with Jenga is you've got to go over there and you've got to see which of the blocks will move and which of the ones don't have the weight on there. And I can take this out, and I can take this out, and it'll still all hold together. It'll all still stand up. That's the adventure. That's the game of, of Jenga. And so we sometimes come to God's law, and we come up to certain things, and we say, well, murder. Well, that's, that. we can't touch that. Adultery. Oh, don't touch that. Those are major violations. If you do that, the whole thing will collapse. The whole thing will fall apart. But treating certain people better than others. Well, that that seems to be okay. Bigotry. Partiality. Racism. Favoritism. Those don't seem to be the weight-bearing parts of God's law. And I want you to know, church, I don't want to confess this, that I was brought up in a church full of God-loving, God-honoring people. But I learned how to tell racist jokes in the foyer of my church building. When the deacon would say, hey, come over here, I got one for you. And I thought it was okay. And I thought it was alright. And I thought that was just what people did. And I am deeply ashamed of that. Because the gospel isn't like a Jenga tower where you can just take some things and kick it out and it still stands up. The gospel of Jesus, it's a window pane. And when you break it, the whole thing shatters, the whole thing collapses, and nothing holds together because you got a big hole where it should be solid, it should be a barrier, a firmament. And when you take those things out, the problem is, is that the, when you let the world, um, the way that the world works out there be the way the world works in here, then the church becomes no different than out there. And the church becomes ruled by the very same rules. And the gospel is robbed of its testimony. And the gospel is robbed of its power. So church, we have a choice to make. When someone different walks in, we have a decision to make. And it's the same choice that that country billboard had. You can kick it out, or you can turn it up. And the gospel of Jesus tells us when someone different than you comes in, you know what you do? You turn it up. You turn up their story. You turn them up to maximum of all. You listen to them. You, you, you hear them and you know what beat they dance to and what moves them. And, and that's the gospel. And so students, if you want to change the world, if you want to change the world, accept whomever walks in. And you be kind. Be kind to people. Hey, if you want to change the church, open your home. Open your home to everyone. 
If you want things to be different in your congregation, give the person in front of you the attention as if they're the most important person there is. And what do we do, church, if a sinner walks in the door? What do we do if a sinner walks in the world? Well, where would you rather them be? And we need to turn up their stories and listen. Because a beautiful thing happens when you turn it up. A beautiful thing goes on. This is, this is recorded from just a couple of weeks ago. This is um, what was going on in elementary school. Let me ask you, were those kids worried about did it fit in country or not? They said what? Turn it up. And they wanted more of it, and they wanted to jump, and they wanted to, 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 to show their joy, to show their enthusiasm. And church, that's, that's what happens when we say turn it up. We don't have to be the gatekeepers. We don't have to look like the, the old ladies at the country club. We don't have to be the ones to make sure everything is, is, is guarded and safe and all the genres are protected. We don't have to do that because that's not our job. We're the ones who are supposed to jump around with joy because we celebrate that Jesus is King and that He's torn down the dividing walls of hostility. And that He has made one humanity. And that's the joy that we have. And that's why we invite others to do the same. So church, let me just encourage you. Turn it up. Just turn it up. Let's pray together. God, we thank You so much for our brother James. We thank You for the, the Word that he's given us and the challenge that he laid before us to not show favoritism, to not guard the genre. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to live with joy, to live the way that you've called us to live. And Lord, instead of trying to kick others out, I pray that we would turn up their stories. God, I thank you for what I see going on in this room right now. We're willing to get together and to listen, to learn, and to love on each other. And God, I pray that, that in these moments, in these kind of things, your kingdom would come more fully. Thank you for Jesus. We want to honor him in all we do. In his name we pray. Amen. Now that, brother, oh, okay. I'm going to go ahead and offer the invitation. If there's any way that you want to respond tonight through prayer, um, by, by seeking and, and, and talking about baptism, any way that you want to respond, you are more than welcome to do that. And I believe that we're going to have a, another song right now. All right.
I'll tell you what, let's all stand up.